Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 7, as we read the verses 9 through 17. Let us hear the word of God. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless and apply the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, do you ever feel that as Christians we are almost all alone in this world? There are good reasons for this. For one thing, there's so much false teaching and apostasy in the church today that many churches that claim to be churches are not churches at all. They are false churches. And many people, even in true churches, are not true Christians. They are hypocrites. They are self-deceived. For another thing, the enemies that are allied against us are very powerful. When you combine the fame of liberal Hollywood celebrities with their millions of followers the powerful gurus and political elites of the World Economic Forum and the United Nations, the increasingly pervasive influence of wokeism and political correctness in our institutions of higher learning, in the media, and increasingly in the corporate world, it's no wonder that conservative Orthodox Christians like ourselves feel outgunned and outnumbered at times even all alone. Our text passage today reminds us, however, that we are not and never will be all alone. On the contrary, although the church on earth may be very small and weak at times, as it was during the days of Elijah, and although with the passage of time it will become even smaller and weaker, the church of Christ as a whole consists of a vast multitude of people, and they are there 
even now, before the throne of God. Well, with this in mind and the help of the Lord, we're going to consider the words of our text today under the theme, The Multitude Before the Throne. And we'll think of two thoughts in this connection. First of all, their description, and then secondly, their blessedness. John is still in the throne room of heaven. And he has just seen a vision of the 144,000 in verses 1 through 8. Now he sees something else. A great multitude before the throne of God. First John sees the church militant sealed before the four winds of God's judgment that are unleashed upon the earth. But now John takes us from earth to heaven. And there he gives us a glimpse, however small, of the church triumphant. That is, the church in its perfected, glorified state. Now you'll notice that this is not the church in her final state. This is the church as it exists in heaven, as it waits for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And you'll notice what John says about these people. First of all, he says a number of things about their number. He says they are a great multitude which no one could number. Now we have here the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. There God promised that Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Well now this promise is fulfilled. And you'll note that when John says that the multitude in heaven is so great that no man can number it, he's not saying, of course, that this crowd cannot be numbered. Because God can number them, and he does. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes these words, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. So the Lord our God knows every single saint by name. When John says they cannot be numbered, he means they cannot be numbered by man. So if we were to start counting them, we'd soon lose count, and we'd have to start all over again. That's how many of them there are. Secondly, John comments on their variety. He says that they are drawn from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. So there are people there from Africa, from China, from India, the United States, and Canada, and even the tiniest Pacific Island nations. Almost every race and every nationality is represented there. So we see here the reversal of the curse of Babel. At Babel, God divided the inhabitants of the earth by confusing their language. But in heaven, he brings them all together in one great family. Thirdly, John comments on their position. He says that they are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So they're not kneeling, they're not even lying prostrate before the throne of God, but they are standing. Standing is the posture of triumph and honor. Scottish preacher Andrew Bonar from the 18th, 19th century, said this, to stand before the throne is next to sitting on it the highest elevation. This reminds us that the believers in heaven are in their glorified state. 
They are perfect in Christ. And as such, they stand before the throne of God. Fourthly, John comments on their appearance. He says they are clothed with white robes. White is the color of victory. So in chapter 6, verse 2, the first horseman of the apocalypse, which represents conquest, is pictured as riding on a white horse. And such is the case here as well. These saints are pictured in white robes, indicating that they are victorious over sin, over death, and over Satan through their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But white also represents purity. This is why a bride normally wears white at her wedding, because white symbolizes purity. Well, such is the condition of the glorified saints in heaven. They are pure. Their sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, as the angel also says in verse 14. And as a result, they stand before God as though they had never sinned. Fifthly, John comments on their activity. John says this multitude does three things. First of all, he says they rejoice. And that's communicated by the palm branches in their hands. Holding palm branches is a sign of joyous celebration. You may remember how during his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem welcomed Jesus into the city, waving palm branches in the air and crying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, that's what we see here as well. The saints in heaven are waving palm branches in the air as an expression of their joy and praise. Now, interestingly, palm branches were also used during the Feast of Tabernacles, which served to remind the people of Israel of their 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But now these same palm branches take on a very different meaning. For the glorified saints are no longer in the wilderness. They have arrived in the ultimate promised land, which is the dwelling place of God himself. Secondly, John says they shout. What is more, he says, they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So John doesn't say that they sing in measured tones. No, they shout. They literally burst into a shout of praise to God and to the Lamb. Again, Andrew Bonar writes this. He says, This is the irrepressible shout rising and bursting forth from delivered men, from conquerors on a hard-fought field that have as yet no time to throw their feelings into elaborate song or harmony. And you'll notice what they shout. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They shout about salvation. Sadly, Along with the rest of the world, many Christians today get more excited about their sports teams or celebrities than they do about salvation. And that should not be. What should give us the greatest joy and even make us want to shout aloud is salvation in Jesus Christ. I wonder, does that ever make you shout? When you hear a sermon about what Christ has done for sinners, do you ever want to just shout out in praise and thanksgiving to God? Oh, we don't have to do that audibly. In fact, sometimes that can be overdone. 
But do you not ever feel the urge to shout to God in your heart? If not, what does that say about you? What does it say about your spiritual state before God? What does it say about your readiness to be in heaven? If you get more excited about who won the latest hockey game than you do about the saving work of Jesus Christ, then something is seriously wrong. Well, as the saints shout, we read in verses 11 and 12 that the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne. And they worshiped God, and they said, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, we first encountered these beings in chapter 5. They're always before the throne of God. And when they hear the saints shouting and praising God, they too cannot help themselves, but they also join in praising and worshiping God. Thirdly, John says they serve. We read in verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. The saints of God are servants of God. They serve God and each other here on earth. They will do the same in heaven. And why is that? Because their hearts are full of love. Those who love, serve, just as the Lord Jesus loved and served us. What is more, they will do so day and night, John says. Now, technically, there's no day or night in heaven, but the idea is that they do so continually. Just like the priests in the Old Testament, they spend all of their time serving God in his temple, which is heaven. Now, what they do exactly, we don't know. John doesn't tell us, but they're busy, and their work is not burdensome or boring. It is most delightful and fulfilling, and they do it with all of their heart and with joy out of thankfulness and love for the Lord. Sixthly, John comments on their suffering. After hearing the angels and the elders and the four living creatures give glory to God, One of the elders comes to John and he says, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And in reply, John said, Sir, you know. Or we could say, Tell me. Then the elder said, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Notice what the elder says here. He says, these are people who came out of great tribulation. Now, some Bible-believing Christians claim that this great tribulation refers to a period of intense suffering that will last several years. Some say three and a half years. Others say seven years. And this will take place just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, while not denying that the tribulations that believers experience will become more intense, especially prior to his second coming, it's perhaps better to interpret this tribulation as referring to the entire period between the first and second comings of Christ. And that's because this entire period is characterized by tribulation. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, the Apostle Paul commends the Thessalonians for their patience and faith in all their persecutions and tribulations that they endure. Likewise, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul says that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus in this day, in this age, will suffer persecution. 
Now this also fits with the context, since the multitude that John saw are in heaven before the four horsemen are, are unleashed. And the point is, all believers have suffered, and they'll continue to suffer. Tribulation will continue to be our lot in life until our Lord returns. And not just those who are living before the second coming of Jesus Christ, but all believers in every age and place. Finally, John comments on their holiness. The elder says to John that the people who make up the great multitude have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because we don't wash garments in blood, especially not white garments. And that's because blood stains. If I put a drop of blood on a white sheet, it will stay there unless I wash it with a powerful stain remover. But that's not true for the blood of Christ. His blood washes away sin completely. It washes away all sin, no matter how vile. And so completely that not a trace of it is left. And the multitude knew this. And therefore, they washed their robes, the robe of their soul, in the blood of the Lamb of God. Notice, in the blood of the Lamb. In the Old Testament, lambs were commonly sacrificed and their blood poured out on the altar in order to pay the penalty for our sins. But here is the ultimate lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the saints in heaven washed their robes in his precious blood. Yes, this is something that they themselves do. God does not do this for them. They do this themselves. And maybe you say, how can that be? Because left to ourselves, we will never come to Christ. And we will never wash our robes in his blood. Because we're sinners by nature. We're dead in trespasses and sins. And all that's true. But those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb are not left to themselves. They have been born again by the word and spirit of God. And as such, they are enabled to respond to the call of the gospel and to come to Christ and to wash their robes in his precious blood. This, by the way, is how these people gained access to the throne room of God in the first place and were enabled to stand before him and serve him day and night in his temple. By nature, none of us can do that because God is absolutely holy and we are poor, miserable, hell-deserving sinners. The only way that we can stand before God is if our sins are washed away in the precious blood of his Son, the Lamb of God. And they are, if we believe on his name. Well, my friend, what about you today? Have you believed on his name? If not, make no mistake, you will not be numbered among this great multitude. Instead, you will be numbered among another multitude, a far greater multitude, consisting of those who refuse to repent and believe and who will therefore perish everlastingly in the flames of hell. Oh, my friend, do not let that happen to you. But heed the voice of the Lord as he comes and says, Come and wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb so that you too might be saved. Well, this great multitude consists of those who came out of the great tribulation, who washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Now, such people are supremely blessed. And that brings us to our second point. John concludes his description of the great multitude by describing the blessings that they will enjoy to all eternity. That comes in verses 15 to 17. First of all, John says they will enjoy fellowship with God. He says they will, God will dwell among them. Now God's design for man has always been to dwell among them. Before the fall into sin, God walked and talked with man in the garden in the cool of the day. 
Later he dwelt among his people in the tabernacle, and later still in the temple in Jerusalem. Later he dwelt among us in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And still today he dwells in the hearts of his people through the Holy Spirit. But because of man's sin, God, who is absolutely holy, cannot dwell with man fully and completely, but he will in heaven. There he will be their God, and they will be his people, and they will dwell together in perfect, uninterrupted communion and fellowship to all eternity, and it will be wonderful. Secondly, John says they will enjoy the care of God. He writes, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Now the people to whom John was writing knew very much about hunger and thirst and the debilitating effects of the heat of the sun. And so do many believers today, especially those who live in tropical climates and very poor countries. But in heaven there will be no deprivation of any kind, nor will there be any sickness or pain or hardship or trials. There will be an abundance of whatever we need. And John gives the reason why. He says, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. The language here reminds us, doesn't it, of Psalm 23, there David compares the Lord to a shepherd who provides for his sheep. And what David writes about in Psalm 23 is but a foreshadowing of the way that the Lord will provide for his sheep in glory. He will shepherd them and he will lead them to living fountains of waters. What is that living fountain of water? Well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He is the source of all true refreshment. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he will abundantly supply the thirst of his people, not just once in a while, but but at all times and to all eternity. One commentator writes that in heaven the saved will always thirst for God, and that thirst will be satisfied through the ministry of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, John says they will enjoy the comfort of God. He writes, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is perhaps one of the most touching and tender pictures in the entire Bible. Parents, I'm sure you can identify with this picture. You know how it goes. Your child is outside playing and he hurts himself on the sidewalk, skins his knees and he cries and he cries and he will not be consoled by anyone but mommy and daddy. And what do mommy and daddy do? Oh, they take their little one in their arms. They hold him tight. They tell him everything will be okay. And then when the child calms down, mommy and daddy takes their finger and wipes away their tears from his eyes. This is what God does for his people. He wipes away their tears. Does that mean that there's no sorrow in heaven? No. There is no sorrow in heaven. Only joy. But there's memory, and not all memories are pleasant. And so what John is saying is that in heaven, God will comfort us when we remember the painful things that happen to us in this life. 
and the terrible things we had to endure for the cause of Christ, he will, figuratively speaking, wipe away every tear from our eyes. Isn't that wonderful? Is this not something to look forward to, dear struggling child of God today? Is this something you desire, those of you who are not saved? You know, God did not create us for this world only. He placed, as the Bible says, eternity in our hearts. And because of this, we long for more than what this life and this world can provide. We long for God. St. Augustine once said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Let me ask you, is your heart restless today? Are you dissatisfied with this world and all that it has to offer? Is there within your soul a deep aching void that nothing and no one can fill? I tell you today, go to the Lord. He alone can fill it. He alone can give you meaning and purpose in life and the grace you need to attain it and to live out of it. And he's so willing to do so. He calls out in his word, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by wine and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. I began the sermon by asking if you ever feel that we as Christians are alone in this world. Well, the answer to that question is no. There cannot be such feelings. There is because there's an innumerable company of saints in heaven. And God is there. And he is seated on his throne. And he is gathering and defending and preserving his church by his word and Holy Spirit. And one day, dear friends, one day soon he's coming again. And then every knee shall bow down before him. And every tongue will confess his holy name. And he will reign, and we with him, to an everlasting eternity, world without end. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you are blessed by, or if you have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take the time to write us a short note? Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. And Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. And when you write, please indicate the call letters of this station. If you do take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Prunk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace we hope it may be a rich blessing to you and your family. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages 
at any time from our website. And our website is www.banneroftruthradio. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.